The following podcast is recommended for people 18 and over as it discusses the production and consumption of alcohol. A podcast one production. Yeah, g'day, mate. Back again, mate. What will it be tonight? I just got in some O gin from Kangaroo Island. They're distilling a gin with native Illyria, sort of like a native rosemary. Yeah, right. And it tastes like nothing you've ever had before. Okay. Or how about this? We just got some of that Sheep's Way vodka from the Hartshorn Distillery in Tassie. As long as it's Aussie made, I'll take whatever you've got. Who's around the bar tonight? Oh, Bill Lark's back. He was in here last night telling me about his distillery. Hey, Bill, come here and sit down. I want to hear more about what you're making. Let's start at the start. How did you first get into whiskey? Yeah, whiskey was something uh, I started enjoying with my father-in-law. Um, we like to go fly fishing together and Max always enjoyed a whiskey, so I thought if I can't beat him, I'd better join him. <laughs> so you just wanted to fit in with your father-in-law. Okay, so when did you get the idea that you'd start distilling your own whiskey? Well, it's actually on, on a fishing trip up um, in the highlands of Tasmania and I'd caught a beautiful four-pound brown trout one morning and it was a lovely day and Max said... That, you know, let's not be greedy, Bill, that'll do us for the day. Why don't we go back to this little town, Bothwell? And so we drove back into Bothwell, and when I got back, Max had a bottle of Glenfiddich sitting on the table and two glasses, and I thought, he knows exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> By the time Lynn and Margaret had arrived, we'd probably enjoyed enough whiskey to start saying things like, why doesn't somebody make whiskey in Tasmania? We know we've got good barley, we've been making good beer for a long time, the water is sensational, we just figured the climate must be okay for maturing whiskey. And we thought it should be that simple. Why hasn't anybody ever ever done it? And um, when Lynn came, uh, turned up, um, you know, we were sort of saying these things and she said, well, um, if you get a still, I'd like to make gin. <laughs> so let's give it a go. And, uh, you know, sure, my interest was whiskey, um, but at one stage we had about 11 products and all of those other products were produced by Lynn, designed by Lynn and uh, she's a very clever distiller in her own right. Bill, no small producers had distilled single malt whiskey for over 100 years in Tasmania. Didn't you take that as a hint? I mean, I heard you put your whiskey in for awards around the world. How have people outside of Australia reacted to it? I remember in 2009, I think it was, we won an award in Scotland for the best whiskey outside of Scotland and Ireland. And um, uh, just after that, I was at a dinner in Scotland and one of the judges who had been... He also wrote for one of the whiskey magazines, had been a little bit sceptical about what was happening in Australia. He came up to me and introduced himself and said, look, Bill, you thoroughly deserve to win. I was a judge, I can tell you. Um, what are you blokes doing in Tasmania? How the hell can you make such a big, rich, oily, wonderful whiskey? And we talked about it and he believed that our climate was certainly really conducive for maturing whisky. We get greater a range of uh, diurnal temperatures and seasonal variations and all that adds to helping the whisky move in the barrel and therefore mature really well. But it's the fact that, again, I didn't know what I was doing when I got a licence. I just started playing and I went to our local brewery to get our malted barley and it happened to be a brewing barley and he believed that one of the things that was working in our favour was the fact that we were using a brewing barley. It was giving this big, luscious, rich, oily malt that, the climate, the fact that we were using small barrels, um, all of those things contribute to making good whisky. Okay. So it sounds like conditions in Tassie are perfect for craft distilling. But what do you think makes a good whisky a great one? 
If you were to ask any distiller in the world, they will tell you that 65% of the character of any whiskey comes from the barrel you put it in. So, and because it's going to be there for a long time, you need to ensure you've got a good barrel. We sort of started out, we were lucky enough to get access to some beautiful Australian port barrels. So we developed a style around French oak um, that had had port in them in them before. We got the Cuba to shave them and rechar them and the recharring of that residual port, I think, gives a lovely sort of plum pudding fruitcake note on the front of the palate, a little bit of marzipan. It's quite nice and the French oak seems to work quite well with it. The other uh, whiskies uh, styles can be matured in a bourbon barrel, for instance, and I was a little bit nervous about that to start with, but um, we've started maturing whisky in bourbon barrels now and I have to say, Tasmanian whisky matured in a bourbon cask works really well. That lovely combination of the vanilla from the bourbon and bourbon cask, the American oak, um, and the rich Australian malt seems to uh, produce a sensational whisky. Oh, I don't think you give yourself enough credit, mate. At doing the Irish and Scots at whisky, that's pretty impressive. Ah, there's another Tassie distiller over there. That's that's Peter Bignall from Belgrove Distillery. I heard that he makes whisky from rye. Peter, come here and join us, mate. Uh, we were just talking about the flavour barrels can give you craft spirits. But what about ageing it? I mean, everyone's so obsessed with how old a whisky is. Does that come from the barrels as well, or is that something else? Um, now, the wooden, well, the wooden barrels are a very, very important part of the process. We've obviously got to make good spirit to put into the barrels in the first place, but, yeah, the barrels are very, very important. And where you store them is very important too. You know, I've got a... Um, some, some of my barrels are up, up on little racks right up in, in the roof space where it gets very, very hot in the summertime. It comes over 40 degrees up in the roof there yeah, quite often. But then at night time, uh, it cools way, way down. So it's interesting that the bit of air space we get inside the barrels, which is very important to us, it, it expands on a hot day, creates pressure inside the barrel, and that pushes the, the, the whiskey into the wood. And then at night time it cools down and the airspace creates a little vacuum and sucks the whiskey back out of the wood again. So we're getting that very quick exchange between the whiskey and the wood. Whereas in Scotland, they don't have those fluctuations in temperature. It's a bit more humid over there. And um, they, they don't get that quick reaction. And so in Scotland, they might take 10 years to get extract a certain amount of flavour out of the wood. In Tasmania, in small barrels, you know, we can almost get that same amount of extraction in, in yeah, two or three years. It's much, much quicker. So the weather in Tassie can flavour the spirit in a similar way that ageing the spirit works in Scotland. What, that, that blows my mind. Ryan Hartshorn, you're one of the younger distillers in Tassie. Why did you get into distilling and what have you been experimenting with lately? So I make um, the world's first sheep's whey spirits. About 17 years ago, um, myself, my mother and my sister started Grandview Cheeses, which is a sheep cheesery um, that we have down here in Tassie. And for basically about 13 years, we'd been sort of running that. And it got to the point where 100% of our product was sold direct. And it still wasn't really sustaining the three families. We're all on less than minimum wage. So I was just like, you know what, I've had enough. Um, so I took it upon myself to try and think of another business that would sort of help us all. So I went on to online forums in... Um, around Australia and basically just every evening after work I would just be reading, reading, reading and um, and sort of learnt how the basics of distilling and the whole time I was trying to think how do I make 
a distillery relevant to a cheesery without just doing, you know, something like milk liqueurs and things like that. I wanted to try and do something that hadn't really been done before. So uh, the first product we released was our Sheetsway Vodka, which in its first year uh, won Australia's Best Vodka. And then it subsequently won that three years in a row at the World um, Vodka Awards in London. But last year, the vodka won World's Best Vodka, which was a huge um, huge award, but essentially that was that's been um, the backbone of our of our range has been has been the vodka. So I came out as a second product came out with the um, the oaked vodka, which has been in uh, American oak and it's fifty percent alcohol. Um, I like my cast strength whiskies. And then the third product after that was the Sheepsway Gin. So only um, Australian native botanicals. I was really big on that, and I was I was almost I was trying to make the gin something that was just. Tasmanian natives, but it's actually very, very difficult to do that because essentially when you're in a cold environment, you don't get many sugars coming out of berries, so um, you get a pretty bland tasting fruit and basically distillation, everything's um, reduced down to sort of 10% of its total. So if you've got a flavour, you're only going to get about 10% out of it. So you want to start with something really bold and exciting to to distill it. So I I broadened it to Australian natives and um, to make it different to everyone else, we have two botanicals that have never been used in anyone's gin before, still to this date. So it's an Australian flower and Australian sweet grass. Um, and then the fourth product would be our whey liqueur. So we're actually using, of a bottle, 70, 70% of it is fresh whey. And then we've added um, vanilla bean and alcohol. So it's it's like having a vanilla custody type drink but it's essentially fresh way so you can build muscle and um have a have a good time at the same time (laughs) muscle building vodka that uh, that sounds too good to be true Hey, Bill. I see your sister-in-law, Sarah, is here from Kangaroo Island. Sarah, come join us. All right, Sarah, be honest. Did your interest in spirits come before or after you married into the Lark family? I was, I've got to say, brought up with gin. I've got a granny that is about to turn 100 this year, and she's from England, and she still has the tradition of the five o'clock gin and tonic. So... She doesn't drink Gordon's anymore, thankfully. She enjoys a, a Kiss Wild gin and tonic for a five o'clock <laughs> gin tea. Okay. So you've got a family connection to gin and your husband, John, has a family connection to whiskey. I heard that on your wedding day, Bill actually asked his brother if you guys would go into distilling craft whiskey. So how did you let him down gently? My husband, John, had said, well, you know, we, we actually prefer gin and I think we'd be better off getting into making gin. We saw the rudimentary uh, resurgence of gin drinking in the UK. This is going back um, 15 years ago. And um, we thought, well, why not get into that? And Bill said, don't be silly, no one drinks gin. Um, but he's eating his words now. <laughs> oh, they offered me some of your gin when I got to the bar. You guys at KISS are known for distilling native botanicals into your spirits. How do these change the taste and style of your gin? 
15 years ago when we had the concept, um, everyone like Bill was of the opinion that whiskey was what people were after and wanted to drink. They just saw gin as being the, the way of making a bit of an income while they were waiting for their whiskey to age. Um, so I, I just think that they didn't actually realise what the potential for gin was. The other reason why I say that my um, husband wanted to get into distilling, it was a sibling rivalry. Um, and they love having that that head-to-head with each other and teasing each other and putting each other down, which is fantastic with the, the family. But it, it's um, uh, definitely, I think my husband was jealous of his brother getting all the limelight, so I thought he needed to get in on the act as well. The Wild Gin was the first one that we released uh, that would be about 12 years ago and we've gone for the the traditional London dry style with the the juniper dominant but we've also incorporated a a native berry called Bubiella that uh, grows on the island and that has got a similar juniper profile to it so it hasn't got that intense um, piney note to it so you can't have that on its own, but it just complements the piney flavour of the juniper with its own native element to it. We've also incorporated lime and uh, the eau de cologne mint, so lovely freshness to it from that. And we've got some lovely spice from ginger and pink pepper in there. And then there's the other notes from the cinnamon and um, mace in there that give it that that lovely um, other type of spice to it. How did you realise that these botanicals could be distilled into gin? We had to go through a lot of trial error. Um, we started out by putting everything into the still and we found that the flavour was too intense that way and we came across a, a method of um, vapour infusion uh, by going to the local Chinese shop and buying a cheap sieve and <laughs> sticking that in the neck of the still and then putting all the botanicals in there and then the vapour would uh, pass through it and take the oil. So much gentler method and we found that the flavour from that was was much better. We had a friend that um, was running a bar in the Hilton, uh, Hugh Holds, who we would uh, go to with all of our our sort of um, attempts at at the the gin and he'd give us a little bit of uh, advice as to, you know, what to tweak. And then when he gave us the nod was when we knew that we were ready to release our gin. (laughs) What a great friendship that is for him. Speaking of using local products, that guy who just walked in, He's the master distiller at Archie Rose in Sydney. I've heard he's been experimenting with his own local ingredients, like Vegemite. I think they called it Archimite. Let's ask him if it's true. Hey, Dave, are the rumours true? Why would you guys distill Vegemite? I mean, how did you even think of that? We definitely started out basically making whiskey, I suppose, how that former generation did. Here at Archie Rose, that's that's what we did, like, in our very early days. And it was from that that I suppose we developed our own kind of way of being. I think the other the other really cool thing is to sort of see how um, how far we can push a thing. So if we really like, you know, this little tweak that we make, um, we often ask ourselves, well, how far can we take that? Archie Rose is one of those situations where we went... Um, you can distill anything. Can we distill Vegemite? Can we distill all of the mites, right? And we did it, and some of them taste gross, but 
basically it was this thing that hung around my desk for a year and we used to show people and go hey we distilled this thing and some people just lost their minds so we said well hey we may as well put this in a bottle and we were just totally not ready for the enormous response that we had from it like it was talked about in media in hong kong uk like us we had people calling us up all around the globe but yeah we do crazy stuff um a lot of it's trying to I suppose, to still (laughs) Um, our experience as Australians. Another crazy one that I did was uh, I distilled a meat pie, which I'm unsure about, but (laughs) actually I was showing a couple of mates of mine on the weekend and they loved it. They were just, they kept smelling the glass even when there was nothing in it. So, yeah, there's something, you know, I suppose just seeing how far you can take something and then when the world pushes back on you you know you you know pick yourself up and try again but sometimes you know you just can't hit something that's really awesome (laughs) wow you guys are really making your spirits unique kathleen davies told me back in 2013 that small craft distillers were making some exciting stuff but i never thought this was the level you'd all be at no one was really talking about them then but now it feels like people only want Australian craft spirits, right? Kathleen, come here for a sec. Like, I gotta be honest, I should have listened to you back then. Why did your business, Nip of Courage, decide to represent only 100% Aussie spirits? You're from New South Wales, and most of these craft distillers are based in rural areas. How did you connect with them? Australians drink less than 0.5% of Australian-made, Australian-owned spirits. Everything else we consume here in Australia, right here, right now, is foreign-made or foreign-owned. I looked at the options in Australia and thought, well, no-one's really representing craft distilleries in Australia. So I said to my husband, look, I'm going to have to go out with a plan and actually go and visit these people in person and, you know, shake their hand, look them in the eye and tell them that I mean business. So he said, all right, let's do this. So... Um, I literally had no money and my husband and I remortgaged the house to start this business. So I had a little collection of distilleries to get the business started and hit the ground running in 2013 and packed up my little van, drove to Melbourne. Um, I had no money to set up the stand that we had. So I painted all the backdrop of my stand, put up some Australia flags, put all the products that we had on the shelf, which was about 12 products back then, put them up on the shelf and... The entire trade show, we were about 10 deep and bartenders from Melbourne just couldn't believe that we only represented 100% Australian um, distilleries and we ended up that weekend with about 100 new customers. Seriously, it's so great to see that gamble finally paying off for you. So, Bill, back to when you started. Was it your goal to one day have Lark Distillery products in bars? I remember many years ago when we were all trying to get our products into the marketplace and having, you know, not so much success. And uh, Kathleen had the courage, and I guess that's why she called her business the nip of courage, to take on Australian spirit makers when it wasn't so easy for us to get into uh, bars and hotels and, um, you know, and it's still quite a challenge. But it's wonderful to see around the country there are some uh, venues that only stock Australian spirits now. I think the future for craft distilling in Australia is terrific, is, is bright. We're all winning some of the best awards in the world. I had no idea it would end up like this. I really didn't. I just thought that, that the, big, the big whiskey world out there is far bigger than we could ever imagine to see ourselves in. But here we are. Well, guys, 
Let's raise a glass to all of you, the people who are putting the craft back into distilling. Look, if this is what the rural distillers have been up to, I can't wait to see what the urban distillers have been doing. Dave Withers, I'll catch up with you again tomorrow night about that. It's time for me to call it a night. I'll see you all then. Night, everyone. The Aussie Spirit was produced by Podcast One Australia in collaboration with Nip of Courage. It was presented and sound designed by me, Matt Dwyer, produced by Alex Mitchell and written and developed by Jennifer Goggin. Sound production and music was by Matt Nikolic. For more info, go to nipofcourage.com.